Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining with us this morning. And uh, whether you're in your lounge room or maybe you're just listening in the car or whatever, I just want to welcome you to the service today. We're going through uh, our, a new challenge, a, a series leading up to Christmas about God being with us, the very meaning of Emmanuel, which ha- is, is a fairly weighty uh, way to think about um, the lengths that God has gone to, to show us his concern and love and ultimately need for salvation and accomplishing that in the person of Jesus. Uh, and I have the privilege of speaking specifically about God being with us in the valleys of life, uh, the struggles of life, the disappointments, the disillusionments. Um, and as we pr- approach Christmas, uh, Christmas is a wonderful time for many and for others it can be a devastating time, and it's a, a time when joys are enhanced, but also so is loneliness, uh, times when people really feel uh, the bite of isolation, uh, even when perhaps for the rest of the year or other times in the year, it's, it's uh, just the same. It takes kind of uh, times like Christmas to highlight some of the struggles that people face. So I want to start uh, this morning or whenever you might be seeing this, first by praying and then by opening uh, the Bible together and seeing what it has to say to us. And start by joining, uh, by praying if you'll join me. Uh, let's do that. Father, thank you so much for the way that you love us and care for us. Uh, you haven't left us in the dark about your concern and your care for us and humanity, um, for every person on the planet. Pray that as we spend time listening to you, to your word, that you would speak, that you would bring what we need in our heart of hearts to hear, move and challenge us to align our lives with your purposes and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read this morning from Psalm 43. Uh, one of, excuse me, Psalm 42. Actually, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were written by the same person and uh, likely together. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 42. It's a favorite passage of mine and they make some reflections and some applications about uh, what this might look like um, if applied this week. So let, let me do that. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, which with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, 
from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. My foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. That's a profound passage and one that speaks really openly and honestly about the human condition in all its complexity. It's one of several psalms that include a lament, and it's something that I want to argue today, is something that if you are on a spiritual pilgrimage, if you are on a journey and long to grow in maturity and in faith, that the things that have been expressed in that passage, that psalm, will be true for you. I almost guarantee they'll be true for you at some stage of your life. That psalmist expresses what it's like to be in a valley and expresses the real pain and lament of being in that valley. That's something that I, I feel quite strongly about because if we don't anticipate that we will face that valley in our lives at some stage, then when it comes, if it takes us by surprise, it can shipwreck us. It can take what was once a solid conviction and turn it to dust. And I've seen it happen again and again. The Bible uh, gives us uh, metaphors right through it. Um, Metaphors like the need for things like training and doctors. Trainings, um, spiritual disciplines, are things that uh, help us in the practice of faith and the journey um, they, they help us grow stronger. Things like regular reading and learning, meditation, prayer, um, gathering. But we also know uh, that we need doctors when we get sick or perhaps have an injury. We need people to come alongside and get us back to health again. And those two things are true in the spiritual sense as well. Um, practices that help us grow, like training, like physical activity, help keep our hearts healthy. And when we face trials and trauma, um, sometimes devastating season, we, seasons, we also need triage in a spiritual sense too. I think the psalmist describes a, a, a reality that has a description of a condition, a condition of the heart, and for the psalmist, a whole range of conditions. Um, causal factors, things that have brought about this condition, and I think um, pretty healthy list of cures or things that as, as people of faith, as Christians, we can engage in that address the condition of, that we're experiencing. Uh, let's, let's look at the, the condition. In a, meta, in a metaphorical sense, um, the psalmist there compares himself to a deer, and the deer is panting for water, panting because they are thirsty. And this psalmist writes that he is thirsting for the living God. 
It's not thirsting, I think, in the sense of some intellectual knowledge, like I'm really struggling with something that I need to find out about, but actually thirsting for an experience of God, an experience that he's clearly had in the past, but is now wanting, uh, panting like a deer pants for uh, visiting a, a brook, and he's crying out and saying that that what once satisfied him no longer satisfies him. What used to resonate about his experience with God no longer resonates. And it's that the reality of God has somehow gone missing in his life. See, space, uh, facing spiritual dryness or darkness or deadness is something that happens in our experience because our lives are complex. You know, we, we feel legitimately devastated and disappointed and sad about things that affect our spiritual lives. And, and I want to contend that this is a really normal thing for the Christian life. There are a number of Psalms, you can think of perhaps some now, that equate this spiritual dryness with guilt. Uh, in some cases, some sounds written by David, clearly draw this distinction of alienation or feeling alienated from God with guilt. They've done something that's against their conscience, and they need to repent. But if you'll notice, that doesn't exist in this psalm, and some other psalms like it, that don't draw a clear, distinct line between spiritual dryness and guilt or conviction. And and this is really, really important. Uh, One of the things that I've learned is that as a a North American and a Westerner, I'm actually Australian, I know I don't sound like it, we tend to to be very individualistic in our thinking, pragmatic and moralistic, that the immediate thought is that if something is wrong, it's because I've done something wrong. It's because I've not done things in the right order or done things well enough, and that The condition of my heart is a direct result of getting it wrong in some way. And I want to make a point of this, is that one of the risks, I think, within Christian communities that stop us from being really honest is because we fear that our Christian brothers and sisters will quickly come back with a retort about the honest state of our heart. We might say, oh, look, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. And the response might be, well, have, have you prayed in faith? Have you confessed all known sin? Have you claimed the promises? Uh, have you rebuked the devil? H- have you applied the blood? Have you thanked God for your many blessings? Or have you sung the chorus over and over again and really, really meant it? I've been guilty of this. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. It's obvious that those can be really, really helpful things. But the psalmist has done those things. And he's dying of thirst of spiritual thirst, and he's confessing this to God. If you don't, if you're not kind of convinced that this condition will come upon you, then I just encourage you to to keep walking in faith. Because time and time again, Christians who have written extensively on this can attest to the reality of it. Mother Teresa, someone who I would contend would know very well Uh, what it's like to live a life faithfully. After she died, a number of her journals were found, and people realized that she'd actually experienced profound spiritual dryness. 
uh, and she writes about it. Let me, let me read this, this to you here. Regarding a painful struggle, Mother Teresa wrote, when I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my soul. Love, the word, it brings me nothing. I'm told that God loves me, yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. In spite of all, this darkness and emptiness is not as, is, is not as painful as the longing for God. Before I could spend hours before the Lord, loving him, talking to him, and now not even meditation goes properly. Deep down, somewhere in my heart, that longs for God, keeps breaking through the darkness. My soul is just like an ice block, and I have nothing to say. She's not alone in that expression. I know others that have felt that way, and many have written quite openly. C.S. Lewis, which you, you may be aware of, also talks about this constant battle in faith between a, a mind that has once become convinced of God's reality and you know doctrinal statements that can be said really openly, and yet emotions that don't always follow. These aren't intellectual doubts. And the psalmist here isn't writing about intellectual doubts because he speaks about his God still belonging to his God. And yet he's having this kind of existential crisis. What starts off as feeling an alienation ends up becoming much more serious in the long run if it's not dealt with well. Let's talk about some of the things that he, he, he talks about as causes for this, this condition. He, he speaks of three that I, I, I really feel uh, can be true for us as well. Uh, one is the disruption of community. Notice in the beginning of that psalm, he says, you know, I used to go down with the multitude and sing praises. Um, he was likely a pilgrim that joined with the Israelites to worship God, perhaps at a, a Passover celebration or a festival. This is where people came together, and he's clearly not doing that. Now, that could be because he was part of a southern kingdom in Judah, and he's been in exile, and he's no longer doing that. But he's honest about the effect of missing people and the, and, and the effect that it's had on him. And it's one of isolation. Now, interestingly enough, as, as Westerners, time and time again, studies show that like 80 or 90% of us really think that um, we can be a good and growing Christian or Jew or Muslim without attending or being engaged with a community of Christians or Jews or, or Muslims. You know, they don't, we don't have to go to church or go to synagogue or go to a mosque. And yet, that is the very antithesis of what Christianity and Judaism and Islam teach. I'm interested in the way that we have convinced ourselves that we're right in some sort of microcosm uh, or an echo chamber of kind of social media where, where we're not openly engaging with people face-to-face -face about ideas and concepts and the, and the honest state of our heart. The psalmist is honest about the effect that that's had on him. And it's one of isolation, and it's devastating. And I want to challenge us, and I'm, I'm preaching myself, that if we have any hope of growing in maturity 
and faithfulness, and certainly through valleys, it can't be done alone. It has to be done in a community of people who disagree with us, uh, challenge us, and still love us. That's not the only thing that the psalmist kind of talks about. I think the, the second area is, is he's in this valley, as we often all are, because of not just isolation from community and people, but the disillusionments of life. The psalmist refers to his enemies, which I think is both enemies external and internal. But the enemies that are hurling abuse or causing questions like, where is your God? If you really believed in God, if you really trusted in God, then how come your life is a mess? How come things have happened that seem so so contrary to the quote-unquote life you think God has promised? If he's really for you, if he's really the God you say he is, how can this be happening? And this is a question that doesn't need to come necessarily from outsiders, but can can happen inside us as well. You may have uh, been you may have been new to the faith, new been a new Christian, and within perhaps weeks or days or months, uh, your life falls apart. A lot of Christians stop being Christians at that stage. They think, oh well, I tried that and it just disintegrated. I would contend that going through difficulty is a lot easier with Jesus, knowing his closeness and proximity to you and your situation than it is to run away because difficulties come. It's interesting too, because uh, I think for all of us, when we're faced with that, we have to we have to push through and do something with it. And a lot of us come to faith at, at a point when um, we're, we're struggling with something. And I believe wholeheartedly that the, the scriptures give answers to dilemmas in our lives. But first and foremost, the scriptures talk about a God who enters in to our struggles and journeys with us in disillusionments and disappointments and grief and pain and trauma. And there's a, a lot that can be said about that. And I, I don't want to gloss over it, but, but to say that it, it, it's been my experience and as I read read the Bible, I'm convinced more and more that it's the experience of the biblical writers that God is often most close when we're most honest about the pain that we're going through and feeling, the disappointments. You know, David, one of the guys who wrote many, many Psalms, you know, speaks about when his, his son goes has a rebellion against him and he loses his, the, the adoration of his family and, and ultimately his kingdom. And he's faced with the disillusionments that life brings because it points to what he'd put his hopes in. He'd put his hopes in the glory of his kingship. And he's realized this, that that glory that, or that story that, that his kingship was going to be the thing that satisfied him was actually a story too small to put all of his hopes in. I think the psalmist gives us some beautiful cures to these, to these causes, to this, to this condition. And again, I want to be really careful that I'm not just saying, well, this is an easy fix. This is just a handful of cures to any problem or concern. But I think that there's some general principles that we can learn from. One is just the very fact that the psalm exists the way it does. He pours out his soul. He says it, I pour out my soul to you, O God. The, the, The whole psalm is a pouring out. 
And I, I will say that you know, when we're going through valleys and difficulties, our tendency is to worship less or to pray less or to just have conversation less with this God that we believe in. But it, that is actually the antithesis of getting out of that valley. And I, I want to encourage you that, that if you, you've experienced spiritual dryness and the first thing to go is prayer or lifting your voice to God, do it without feeling it for a while. It's, it's okay. I think the psalmist, in fact, writes that very psalm because he's done it without feeling it. And yet he's determined not to give up. And, and in part, he's determined to do that by analyzing where his hope lies. Uh, li- listen to the, the refrain that he, he says. He's speaking to his soul. What, what have you put your hope in? Why are you disquieted within me? Three times he says, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. It's not just a rhetorical question. And I, I think that's pointing to something that I just kind of mentioned earlier is that we all have stories that hold up our hearts. You know, the, the story of the perfect Christian life that if I do A, B, and C, I'll have it all together. The perfect Christian marriage or the perfect career that just goes from strength to strength where I climb the ladder and I get accolades and I get recognized. Those those stories aren't just, they're too small to hold the reality of our hopes. We need actually a story big enough that can contain all of our lives, all of the ups and downs, the triumphs and the wins, but also the deep trauma and the failures that come. And it is one of the advantages of, of appreciating the the overall biblical story that is, doesn't just gloss over difficult things. Books like Lamentations, books that, that actually express what we scarcely have words for that are going on in our heart of hearts about the pain and the reality of things. When the psalmist analyzes his hopes, he's preaching to himself. He's preaching to the reality of of inordinate loves, of loves that have have been made more important than the thing that is worth our ultimate affection and love. He also points out in the psalm that this isn't just a spiritual reality. Did you pick up where it says, my tears have been my food all day and all night? He's weeping. He's not sleeping. It points to a reality that's spoken about in Scripture that we are not just spiritual beings. That, that anyone that holds the view that as long as we're just you know really faithful or we're we're just spiritual, that our physical bodies don't matter, is reducing the reality of the human condition. Condition. We can't ignore the fact that spirit, our physical. Uh, bodies need to be cared for, and they're woven into our emotions and our spiritual sides. And we need to recognize all of that. Things like food and sleep, uh, they aren't the ultimate things. They're not. They can actually be an idol, but they need to be taken into consideration because things like depression and anxiety, they are real things that affect our physical bodies because we are not just spiritual. We're not just emotional. And I, th- I think this is the, the, 
the, the kind of kind of flies in the in the face of what often our advice is to friends who might be struggling. We m- might be tempted to say, "Oh, you know, you, you you seem weak. You know, buck up, pull your socks up. You know, just just change your mindset." Actually, for for Christians, and I I mean this for people Christians that that want to grow in maturity and and under understanding and be able to be of help to other brothers and sisters. We ought to be the least reductionistic. That people are made up of, of physical, emotional, and spiritual, and, and that those need to, we need to pay attention to those things. We ought to be the most multidimensional, the, the most balanced in our, our listening and prayer, our advice and our concern. Because we have to recognize all these things. Certainly, we need to recognize by listening long before we give advice about whatever cure someone might need in order to get out of the valley that they may find themselves in. So aside from the hopes that the the psalmist is talking about, the the cure is also to preach to the soul. Psalmist doesn't just say to his soul, 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 why, why are you downcast? But he begins to preach and to say, to tell his soul to remember the loving kindness of God, the chesed of God, the the covenant faithfulness that God has made with his people and through the person of Jesus extends to you and I, that his covenant faithfulness is found in the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, the very thing that we're coming upon celebrating the birth of in this coming Christmas season. He preaches to his soul because he knows his soul needs to hear it. And we need to be better at that. To speak, not just analyze the hopes or where our souls has gone to false hopes or false stories, but to preach to ourselves about the gifts and the beauty of and the majesty of this God. His loving kindness is real because of the person of Jesus. And and this is what I want to end on. It's easy to open up the scriptures and go, oh, I'll just read that passage and take some encouragement from it, regardless of where it was written. But let me encourage you that that any portion of scripture, particularly the Psalm, Psalm 42, this was written prior to Jesus coming. And contrary to being dismissed as, oh, that's Old Testament, actually when Jesus comes, he and through his life, allows us to read this passage through the filter of his life, death, and resurrection. If you'll recall, there's a moment where actually he cries out. Jesus cries out in the Garden of Gethsemane and and in fact experiences isolation from God so that we don't have to. That's the benefit of knowing Christ now, is that while we can absolutely mirror the passage of Psalm 42 and express the sadness and grief and pain and loss of of maybe feeling isolated isolated from God or alienated by God the person of Jesus doesn't just reframe this story but has gone before us and actually experienced that on our behalf when we put our trust in him we actually align ourselves with the the way that he has made for us that by his death and resurrection, we can be genuinely forgiven for the things that separate us from God. 
a, a heart that says, God, I don't, I don't want you in it. Or an agenda that says, God, I want to build my own kingdom and I don't care where you are. That in the person of Jesus, when we recognize that his death and resurrection allows us to be restored, we get to recognize those areas that we've built up that put God to the sides and repent and come clean and come to him and be ultimately restored and be a restorer of others. So I don't know where you find yourself this morning, if it's in a valley or you know someone who's in a valley. But I I suggest that the things that this psalmist does in working out the, the challenges and the condition, but also the cures to coming out of that valley are also true for us, more particularly in the person of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for uh, for the person of Jesus that that you put flesh on and came to earth in the person of a vulnerable baby that we might know you, know what you are like. Uh, would you be with us today and the week ahead um, to actually live that out and to li- align our hearts with yours? Thank you.